Is there any way of... Uh, how do you do this? I think it's a little bit shorter. And I'm tall, but... I don't, none of that was for a performance. The reason I asked those people to come out before I preached about Jesus is because I, want you, did you, I wanted you to meet Jesus before I even told you who Jesus is. I want you to see that this Jesus that I'm going to proclaim today, this Jesus that has completely and utterly radically transformed my life, is still radically transforming other people's lives. That this Jesus that I will speak about in terms of healing and everything, he does it. It's not a pie in the sky, oh I hope that might happen. This morning is termed hope. I don't know about you, but when I consider hope, I can sometimes think, oh well I hope West Ham might win against Derby 5-0. I never thought it would happen. I didn't think, I didn't think we could win anybody 2-0, let alone 5-0. I'm a West Ham supporter, sorry guys. I hope that doesn't now take you down in my estimations. Sorry Graham. <laughs> You're a Derby, are you? Well, it's a good job you came up first, Ralph. <laughs> what good comes out of West Ham, eh? <laughs> I can have those vague hopes, but they're notions. They're things that maybe in the humanly might happen, they might not happen. I want to tell you about some hope this morning that is true. That it's not a vague pie in the sky, will it happen, won't it happen sort of hope. It's a real hope. It's an assured hope. It's a hope that will come. It's not something that we're just dreaming about. It's something that will happen. But before I do that, I just want to make reference to the fact that we're all wearing our poppies. Well, many of us are wearing our poppies today. And the fact that this is Remembrance Sunday. And we've, we've prayed and we've had that minute's silence. But actually, what I want to look at is I want to think, why do we do that? Why is it that we do it? Now, I don't know about you, but Remembrance Sunday, as a, even from a lad, it's something I've held quite dear to me. My, both my, well, my, one of my granddads fought in the war. There was one particular instance in World War II where he was on a, there was two instances actually, when he was on a naval vessel, which he was just a sailor on. And he was going about, and the boats got bombed. And he said there was twice where he had to swim to shore. And it was only the hope of my nan being on the shore that kept him going with the swim. And you know, after those two occasions, he never went near the sea in terms of getting into the sea again because he had a fear of the sea. But my granddad went through that and many others died and many others went through lots of other more horrific things so that we in the UK can have hope today. We've got guys fighting even now in Afghanistan and Iraq. and those are, No matter what you think about that politically, they're fighting on our behalf. That we may have a hope of a better future. Now, I don't, I don't have any political comment to make about the wars, but I do want to remember those that are fighting in them. And we're remembering these guys. Why? Because they are paying a sacrifice for us that we're not paying, that we don't have to pay, particularly those in the First and Second World War. You think about what it would have been like if Hitler had won the war and we had become a German state. Guys sacrificed their lives so that we didn't have to. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know many people that are in the war. I can, I've, 
a lot of them, my family that were involved in what they've all died. And so everything I've got now is like second or third hand. I can read about it. I can watch those wonderful programs that seem to go on forever. And there's always a new program about the wars. And you hear new things and new perspectives and new takes on it all. But I never denied that the wars happened. They happened. Why? Because history tells me that they happened. And that these guys paid the price. There's a book called The Bridge on the River Choir. They made it into a film. And in that book, there's a story of some guys that go out and they go out and they, the prisoners, they're set out with their shovels and they're having to dig holes and it gets to the end of the day and the, the shovels are all collected back in and they're counted back in and there seems to be one missing. And so what happens is that these guys, are all, the prisoners of war, are all lined up in a long line. And the commander, or whoever it was, the Japanese guy, he says to them, which one of you stole the spade? Everyone's silent. If the person who doesn't hasn't, if the person who's stolen the spade doesn't walk forward right now, we'll just shoot everyone. Was his retort. And at that, he had his guards all cock a gun at each person. Still nothing. The guns are then readied, and then one man stepped forward from the crowd. Now, they didn't shoot him. They all got gathered around him and they clubbed him to death. They all marched back into the camp. The spades are then counted back into the shed and they find there's been a counting problem out on the field. There actually hadn't been one stolen at all. You can read this in Bridge on the River Kwai. What that one man did was he paid the price for that other group that were there. Totally not guilty of anything other than being a human being, stepped forward and he took the price. Why? Because he didn't want the rest to die. He paid a sacrifice. He was one of the military. He paid a sacrifice for us. For those particular guys, but for everyone who lives in the free world. It's right that we should remember them. It's right and proper that we should remember them. But this is Sunday. And as a Christian, there's somebody I want to remember every Sunday. And actually, every day of my life. Because although those guys made this huge sacrifice for us, some of them with their lives, some of them with their minds, some of having them screwed up by seeing dead people, there's one man that paid the price for every single human being. There's one man who came and who paid a sacrifice for everyone. And there's one man who died who, paid, who had that sacrifice to give us hope. To give us hope. Not a vague, will it or won't it happen hope, but an assured hope for the future. What I want to do, just very briefly, in the next 15 minutes, is I just want to take us through why this man had to come, what he did when he came, how his life ended, and what's happened since. Sounds like quite a lot, but I'll try and condense it as much as I can. What I want to do is I want to, I want to talk to your hearts. So right now I want your hearts to be opened. I'm not trying to convince you of your minds, but what I want you to see, I want you to see that this guy made a sacrifice for you that you might have hope. 
you might have hope. You've heard my story. I, had, I was a no-hoper. In fact, my life was actually heading to a rehab. If I'm totally honest, that's where I was going. I wasn't a bum on the street yet, but I was going to be. That's where my life was going. As the alcohol increased, I was still on beer at the time, it would have got harder. I don't say that proudly, I tell you that as a fact. Because I've seen many people and I've counselled many people since who have had problems similar to mine that have just gone way down the hill. But what happened on that day, February 3rd, 1999, yes, the alcohol addiction was taken, but I was given hope. There's more to life than beer. There's more to life than sex. There's more to life than constantly thinking I'm not good enough. That I'm behind and in the shadow of everyone else. Even in the midst of popularity. There was more to life than my Peugeot 405 with a brilliant roof rack on it which I was really proud of, but Barbie didn't really think was great. Surprisingly. I want to speak today about Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his returning to heaven and the sending of his spirit. But before that, I think we need to know why he had to come. You see, the Bible says that man was created, Adam and Eve, in a perfect garden. And that garden was called Eden, and that God walked with his people the two he had created. And do you know what they were supposed to do? Do you know what their job was? It was to populate the planet. What a great job. Can't think of anything better. They didn't even have clothes to inhibit them. They didn't have to rip clothes off in the sense of passion. It was like, there it is. They had to look after the creation. You know, it was perfect. There wasn't much to look after. This is all they had to do. And there was one condition. Just one condition that God put there. Why? Because he didn't want robots. He wanted man to have free will and he wanted man to be like... One condition. Just don't eat from the tree of good and evil. So you can't do. Look at all that fruit over there. It's all whipped. Just don't eat from this one. See that bush over there with all that fruit on it? You can eat from that. Not this one, though. Don't, don't eat from this one. That's prohibited. So what does man do? Well, this, we hear that the serpent comes, talks to the woman, hey, surely you can eat from that one. Surely God didn't mean you can't eat from it. Surely God's just trying not to make, he, he just doesn't want you to know as much as him. So what does she do? Oh, it looks good to eat. I'll have some. Now, don't get me wrong, it wasn't an apple. Just very quickly there. The Bible doesn't say it was an apple. It says it's fruit. So we don't know what fruit it was. She bites into it. Lovely. Hey, Adam. Try some of this. Now, Adam had been specifically told, do not eat of that tree. But what does he do? Oh, where's it from? Oh, that tree. Oh, well, it looks nice. And bites in. Now, you might say, well, what a small thing. They only had one thing they couldn't do and the thing they were allowed to do was brilliant. (laughs) Don't eat of the tree, but populate the planet. Yes, Lord! But they ate of the tree. What happens after that? All of a sudden, shame and guilt. They had never experienced shame and guilt. They wanted to cover themselves over. Populate the planet, be naked, have a great time. No, we're going to cover ourselves up, thanks, because we've eaten from the tree. 
And then what happens when God comes to find them that day? They hide. Why? Because they know they've gone against God. And from that moment onwards, man was in rebellion to God because of those two. Because they did go on to populate the world. But they tainted creation. We call it, in Christian circles, the fall. When man chose to walk in a different direction to God. And the word that's often used around what the rebellion is called is sin. That's the word that we use. It's known as today in archery. If you miss the the mark in archery, that's called a sin. If it doesn't even hit the the board, that's a sin. And that's exactly what sin is. It's, It's missing the mark. It's missing the mark of God. You cannot reach God. And this sin is a problem. It's not global. Man's greatest problem is not global warming. I want to tell you that now, boldly and strongly. It is not global warming, although everybody wants to talk about it. It's not debt in the third world. The biggest problem that mankind today has is its sinfulness. And everything like global warming and, the, and third world debt and war and heartache and everything else is all a result of man's sin. And remember, sin is that rebellion against God. That original sin was eating from the tree. That's the sin. And all of us carry that sin. Ever wondered why a little baby, just as it starts to talk, one of its first words is no? How many parents teach their kids to say no? I know, I'm going to say, Daddy, Mummy, no. They're the first three words. No, it's just in them to rebel. She will say no. She will make a fuss. She will rebel against you, as beautiful as she is. And we can find that really offensive, can't we? We can find it really offensive. How can a baby... Because we're in this culture that says, children are everything. And they are lovely. And I do desire to be a father one day. But Jesus is everything. And kids are sinful. They argue, they fight. We don't train them to do any of that stuff. It's just inbuilt in them. Agreed? Whether you're a Christian or not here this morning, you can agree with that. That's called original sin. So if you add on that top of that, what we then do to rebel against God in our own lives, right? you might say to me today, right? you might think, right, the Ten Commandments, the law that was given by Moses, the Ten Commandments... I haven't broken any of them. I'd say by that you've broken one. But... So I've never, I've never slept around, so I'm not an adulterer. never stolen anything. I've never been jealous. You might even be someone that's like, I've never lied. Well, I think that would have been, you would have lied as well, but you'd be lying if you said you never lied. But you could say, I've kept all the Ten Commandments. Well, I'd say to you, well, have you ever been angry with someone then? Just a bit welling up inside you. Have you ever felt angry with someone? Who's ever felt angry with someone? You ever felt angry with someone? Yeah? Let's not show of hands. You ever felt angry with someone? Okay, do you know what Jesus says? You've murdered them. If you've even so much as been angry with someone, you've murdered them. So you're guilty of murder already. Okay, let's think about what else Jesus says. Right. No, I won't go down that road. <laughs> I don't want people putting their hands up for that one. But he does say if you've looked at someone lustfully, you've already committed adultery with them. If you've looked at someone and went, and let that go just a little bit too far, 
You've committed adultery already. See, already that's two of the Ten Commandments that have been broken. We're not doing so well, are we? So actually, all of us break these so-called commandments that we think we're doing all right with. I know for me, as you've heard from my story, I was a liar, a cheater, an adulterer. I got angry with people, which was my murder. I never actually sunk a knife into anyone. Praise the Lord, I never did that. Times I wanted to. We need to get to this point where we understand, actually, we are sinners. Now, we hate it in this culture because we don't like to think we're doing anything wrong. And we live in a culture that says everything is permissible as long as you don't tell everyone about it. The only thing we really hate, if we can be honest, is the paedophile. Because we still don't get that in our heads. But how long is it going to be before that becomes socially acceptable? Because it wasn't long ago that other things were not socially acceptable, which are today. I say this stuff to challenge. We are seen before God as humankind, as sinful. And he cannot look upon that because he is a perfect, just and holy God. He gave us a choice. Populate the world and don't eat from the tree. They ate from the tree. In his grace he still let them populate the world. And we all come under this condemnation, this judgment, condemnation, wrong word, judgment from God. And everyone will face it on the final day. And if that's where I left the story today, if that's where I left it, we would all face that final judgment day when, when God comes again in, the, in Jesus Christ and he is coming and Jesus would have to say, no, you didn't follow me, no, you didn't follow me, no, you didn't follow me, no, you didn't follow me. Guilty, 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 guilty. That's what he'd say. And here's another thing that our culture hates and we don't often say because it's got all confused messages now because of horror films and so on and so forth. But when we're found guilty, we don't go to a place called heaven, we go to a place called hell. And that is a real place and it's a place where God is not. And it doesn't end just by you being burned up in a fire. It doesn't matter, I'm just going to be burned up in a fire anyway. No, it goes on for eternity with you facing eternal punishment. You say, Scott, that's not fair. Well, was it fair that we went against God in the first place? But he doesn't leave it there. You see, because God is also not just a God of justice, but a God of love. And so God, in his grace and his mercy and his love and his compassion, he said, there is a way and I'm going to make that way possible. I am going to send my only son, who I have had perfect relationship with for the whole of eternity past, I'm going to send him in the form of a man and he is going to pay the price for everyone's sin. Everyone who will believe in him will be freed of their sin and they will have a place set aside in heaven for them. And do you know what Jesus said? He didn't say, Dad, oh no, don't! So fair! What do I have to do? Why can't the Holy Spirit go and do it? Like some obstinate child... Jesus says, do you know what? When's the time? When do I go? And God waits 
and he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits and then he says, now is the time. And he sends his son Jesus into a period of history where the Jews were wayward. They had formed their own really, their own really little religion where the guys called the Pharisees who were like the scriptural teachers of the time were able to tack little laws onto the end of God's laws and were able to teach about them on a Sunday and go about their own way on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it was. They didn't teach on a Sunday. Synagogue would have been on a Saturday. You get the picture. And Jesus came into that culture as a Jew and he lived, what we're told, as a perfect life. Jesus came because he was God and he lived without sin, without this rebellion. It wasn't like Jesus, Jesus said, all right, now I've come to earth, I'm going to eat from the tree. He was free from sin. He was tempted, but he didn't sin. He was tempted in all ways, the Bible tells us, but he didn't sin. He didn't rebel against his father. In fact, what the Bible actually says is he only ever did what, his, what he saw his father doing. Sounds like a pretty good son, huh? So he did nothing wrong, ever. And yet people didn't like him. Why? Because he challenged them. Some of you there this morning might be thinking, I don't really like this bloke at the front that looks like proclaimers in a stripy shirt. Because he's poking me. Good. I'm not here to be liked this morning. I'm here to give you a message this morning. Jesus came and he taught counterculturally. In our culture where you're not supposed to talk about hell or final damnation, all that sort of stuff, I'm telling you about it today because that's what Jesus would have done. And the people didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to be challenged. But he came and he saw miracles, people healed, demons delivered. He taught messages that make him seem like a good teacher. He was more than a good teacher, guys. Good teachers. I was a good teacher. Well, I thought I was a pretty good teacher. I didn't heal the kids in my class. Jesus did. He was so much more than a good teacher. I don't know where I am in my notes, by the way. <laughs> and then, it gets to like 33 years into his life, and what happens? These guys, that he's been, this, this Jewish community that he's been born into, so we're not having this anymore. We'll have him arrested. So they have him arrested, they put him on trial, they humiliate him, they spit at him, they mock him. The Son of God being mocked? Well, actually, it's not so much of a surprise because that's what the Bible said would happen. That's what the Scriptures said would happen. He's beaten, he's had a, he has a crown of thorns shoved on his head. He's then marched through the town after being flogged and flayed and I'm talking about a, a whip that's got bits of broken crockery in it. We're not talking about... Some of you might have seen The Passion of the Christ. Any reason, the reason it's an 18 is because it's horrific. Well, that's what happened to Jesus. And his back personally ripped off of him, flesh-wise. Then he's marched through the town with the humiliation of having to carry his own bar of his cross. They get him to the, the hill... And there he's laid down on the other bit of the cross and he's secured to it, fastened to it with nails through here, through here and here. 
And then they raise him up. Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered how it then got into the little slot. Well, it's just sort of knocked along until it goes bang into the floor. Now, he's on, he's on nails. That's going to rip straight away. And then he didn't die of blood loss. No, he died of asphyxiation as he had to pull himself up to breathe and then go back down again. And then eventually you just don't have the strength to pull yourself back up anymore. And he dies while people gamble for his clothes in front of him. People saying, oh, come on, then if you are the son of God, why don't you get yourself down? Being mocked on the cross. And yet it's at that moment that our hope becomes real. Because it's at that moment that every sin of the people that would say yes to Jesus Christ is laid on his shoulders. And he takes the pain and he takes the penalty for that sin. It says that the father turned his face away. Going through that pain, physical pain must have been bad enough, but then to have the person who you've spent your whole eternity with for three hours turn their face away and not be in communion with him, not be able to experience that fellowship and that relationship with him, must have been even more painful than the physical pain. And yet, what does Jesus say? What does he say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And then he says this, it is finished. What did he mean? It's finished. This is what it meant. It meant on the cross, victory over death and sin was won. Victory over, not a caricature of a devil, but the real devil was one. The devil was a defeated foe. Meaning that Scott Taylor, in February the 3rd, on February the 3rd, 1999, you'll be completely freed from alcohol addiction. Because Jesus defeated it on the cross. Meaning that an eye problem here this morning Meaning that an ear problem here this morning. Meaning that a chest problem here this morning. Meaning that a shoulder problem here this morning could be healed because it was done on the cross. Jesus paid the price. It's not like when you become a Christian, when you say, yes, I'm going to follow Christ, that all of a sudden, all the sin you've done is just put underneath a carpet. No, this is what happens. Jesus pays for it on the cross. That's what he does. That's what happened. It's not like he gets crucified again in heaven. It happened 2,000 years ago. There's mystery in the Christian faith. It's good, isn't it? It's good that we don't know everything. Then what happens? Well, he doesn't stay dead because he told his disciples that actually, he doesn't say this, he doesn't say you'll know who I am because of this, but that's essentially what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to go away for you, but then... On the third day, I will rise again. He tells them this at least three times. I will rise again. And it's as if to say, this is the mark of the fact that I am the Son of God. And that you can trust everything that I've said to you. So you can imagine, can't you? The hour's ticking away. He's dead, he's put in the tomb. He is dead, by the way. He's had a spear shoved in his side. Right from there up to here. I mean, if he was still alive, then actually he would have been ruptured from the inside by the spear anyway. Taken down from the cross, put into a borrowed grave. This one-ton 
rock rolled over the front of the over the front of the, the funeral the grave thing. Hours tick away. What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? It gets to the third day. And we're told that the stone is rolled back. And we're told that the clothes that he was wrapped up in are just folded in the in the in the gravestone. We're told that Mary goes down and looks inside the tomb, can't find him, and then she looks around and there's this guy and he says, Mary, and she says, you are the Lord. And then all of a sudden we've got this group of people, the disciples, who had sort of spread all over the place and were sort of in hiding, all of a sudden coming out. Oh, Jesus. And Jesus appears to them. It says on one occasion that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. These weren't people having hallucinations. He appeared to them. He was with them. He ate with them. He drank with them. He sat and had breakfast with the disciples after he came back to life, after he was resurrected from the dead. And then we're told on the 40th day that he's standing with his disciples and he says, I'm going to come back as you see me go. And at that point he goes up on some sort of holy elevator. I mean, I don't know what it would have been like to be a disciple at that point, but you're standing there and all of a sudden, ooh, there goes Jesus up into the clouds. There goes Jesus up into the clouds. But he says he's coming back. And then what happens after that is that this ragtail, bobtail, ramshackle group of people that had run away from Jesus at, his, at the cross, they become this fired up people that are now known as the church. And all but one of those disciples lose their life because they will not say that Jesus didn't die and that Jesus didn't rise again. They lose their life for it. And do you know what today? If it came to a point in this country, I'd like to think that I'd be someone who would lose my life for saying, I will not recant my faith in Jesus Christ. You see, what these people had seen was the risen, resurrected Lord. They knew everything that he had said is true and I'm telling you today, everything that I've said is true. Why? Because I've had an encounter with Jesus. Do you want to have an encounter with Jesus? I've gone over my time. I'm really sorry, Graham. What we're going to do, just to finish off this morning, i like Mark to... Mark? Matt to come up and the band we're going to sing Amazing Grace because here's the, here's the reality of it it's only by God's grace that we are saved this death on the cross this decision that we can make to follow Christ I'm going to explain in a moment is only by God's grace you cannot earn your way into heaven you can't give enough to charity to pay for what Jesus did for you on the cross You can't do enough good for other people. If you can come and start playing just behind me, that'd be great. You can't do enough good for other people that will earn your way into heaven. There's only one way of getting into heaven. This is where people think the Christian faith is arrogant. I think it's truth. And the fact that people think it's arrogant is because they don't like truth. There's only one way to the Father, i.e. to heaven. And that's through Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Because he told me that. And why do I believe it? Because he rose again from the dead. There'll be some of you out there this morning that might be the first time you've heard it. 
It might have been the third time you've heard it. You might have heard it before. But it might be the first time you're thinking, actually, this is the day I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. This is the day I want to experience this love that we've sung about this morning. You see, on the cross, when we come to that cross, when we say, I believe in the cross of Jesus, I believe in his death and his resurrection, I believe I am a sinner, that I do have a problem between me and God, and that's my sin, and I need that paid for and sorted, and the only way that can be done is by Jesus Christ. At that moment, your sins are completely forgiven. Sins past, sins present, and sins future. You are forgiven. The reason I told you about the sin bit at the beginning is because we need to know we are in this condition. We need to know, we call it the good news of Jesus Christ, that he brings hope to us because we have this future in heaven. But we don't know about this good news if we don't know there's bad news. And the bad news is at the moment, if you're not a Christian here this morning, if I can be so bold and be so confrontational is that you're going to help. But Jesus is offering out an invitation this morning, the same as the invite he gave to his disciples and he said to them, come, follow me. And that invite's held out to you this morning. And that's the invite I want to give to you today. Why not have a a future that has a hope? A hope of eternal life. A hope of a place in heaven set aside for you by the Son of God himself. A hope that isn't vague, but a hope that is sure. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. Could everyone stand, please? If that is you this morning, if you feel this morning, actually, I can't deny this Jesus anymore. I've had friends that speak to me about him. I've come to a couple of these meetings before. If that's you, and you're thinking, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I don't want this sin anymore. I want to know, I want to know a life with Jesus Christ. I say, what I want you to do is I want you to first, as we start singing, I want you to put your hand in. So if you're Christians here, don't put your hand in the air during worship. It's the only time I'm ever going to tell anyone to do that. But if you know this is touching you, if you know you've heard something today that thinks I cannot deny this anymore, I'd like you to just put your hand in the air. I'd just like you to reveal yourself to me. Not everyone else, but they're all going to be singing. Just put your hand in the air. And then I'm going to ask you to make a step of boldness after that. But um, first of all, just put your hand in the air. So if we can sing Amazing Grace, that would be great.